Good morning, everyone. I'm John, one of the pastors here at Mercy, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Happy Father's Day to all the dads who are listening. Uh, being a father has been one of the great delights of my life. Knowing and loving our six wonderful kids has helped me become a much better man, and I'll be forever grateful for that. I hope you're doing something fun today. Uh, my wife Sue and I are ordering lunch from our favorite local restaurant. I'm getting New Orleans salmon because I love salmon. Now, I've been thinking a lot about my dad this week. I love him and I miss him. I knew him for 36 years, and he's now been with Jesus for 35 years. He was a good man, full of integrity and generosity. He believed in changing the world through helping young people develop their gifts and get a good education. But he and I were not emotionally close as I grew up. His father died when he was 17, and being the oldest child, he helped raise his four brothers and sister. He didn't receive the nourishing he needed from his father, and he struggled to give that to my sisters and to me. Now, I remember one defining moment when I was seven years old. I had some exciting news to share with my dad. I don't know, maybe I'd hit a home run or made a great play in a game I was in, and I so wanted to tell him, so I ran all the way home to tell him. Now, my dad had a habit of reading the newspaper to relax when he got home from work, and so I came over to where he was sitting and reading, and I began to share my exciting news. Now, he had the newspaper up, and he kept reading the paper, and he talked to me through the paper. Oh, that's good. Uh-huh. 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 Never dropped the paper. Never made eye contact. As I look on that experience, in my little seven-year-old heart and mind, I interpret, interpreted that to mean that my dad wasn't really interested in what I had to say. The news in the paper was more important than my news. So I chose not to share personal things with my dad after that. Now, when I was in college, he would often drive up to where I went to school and take me out to dinner and talk with me about my life. Now, I loved the food way better than cafeteria food. And I think my dad realized that he'd missed an opportunity when I was younger. But now I was a broken young man and I acted like a punk. I didn't share much with him and we would have like an awkward handshake as he left. Thankfully, Jesus broke into my life a year later and then a couple years after that into my dad's life. And Jesus began to heal and change both of us and pull us together. When I went on to grad school in Philadelphia, my dad and I became close by writing letters to each other. Remember letters? <laughs> uh, you know, I've discovered that God can do far more than you or I could ever imagine to restore our lives and relationships as we open up our hearts to him. So I know Father's Day is a complicated day. Some of us have had a wonderful experience with our fathers. Some of us have had a difficult experience. And some of us may have had very little experience you know, Jesus wants to connect each one of us to his good, good father, our original father, who loves you unconditionally with a compassionate and a courageous and a compelling love. And you can receive his love today and every day. I'd like to pray for that just as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you for your love for us, for sending Jesus for us to heal and restore us. Lord, we receive your love today. Please come by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Encourage us through your word today. In your name, Jesus, amen. 
So this is one of the most unusual Father's Days I have experienced in my four, my 70 years. I'm not going to say 40 years. I'm 70, sorry. Uh, we're celebrating right in the middle of fighting two powerful viruses, the coronavirus and the virus of racism in our country and world. It's a time of great challenge and a time of great opportunity. You and I have an opportunity to grow and change personally and to advocate for transformative change in our society. But where can we find the resources we need to love well as good fathers, good mothers, good friends, good followers of Jesus in this broken and desperate world? And where can we find the resources that we need to fight the good fight of faith, to fight for racial justice, and to fight against racism and systemic evil? And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 families. Now, in this story, we see that Jesus is there for us. Jesus shows up just when we need him with all the resources that we need. He comes to provide for us, to protect us, and to give us life. So let's look at John's version of this story in John chapter 6. Now, Jesus had just healed uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda and had a long discussion with religious leaders saying that his father was always working and he was working, and they were really upset with him because they understood that he was saying he, he and the father were one, that he was God come in the flesh. Now, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Now John intentionally connects Jesus to each of these big festivals that the Jews celebrated. So here's Passover. What did they do at Passover? Well, they remembered how God delivered them from oppression under in Egypt, under Pharaoh, through Moses. And so they would talk about Moses, how the Red Sea divided and Moses led the people across and how God would provide the manna uh, in the wilderness for them to eat. So this is what's going on in their minds in this occasion. Now, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Now, turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Jesus loves asking questions. And he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. You know, Jesus always has a plan. He always knows what he's going to do. Let me tell you a little story about this. Uh, back in the mid-90s, the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully all over the country, all over the world. He was moving powerfully in the Twin Cities. And Sue and I and our little tiny church of 125 people at River Heights Vineyard, we had an opportunity to be part of that. So we ended up renting a defunct penny store in the old Apache Plaza in New Brighton. And there were times where 2,500 people would come to those gatherings. And we had a ministry team of like 250 people, twice the size of our church. Uh, we were renting that space. We had to pay $2,500 to rent it. And so I called our treasurer. I said, hey, Dick, how are we doing? Do we have enough money to... I'm going to write, I got to write this check. And he said, oh, we're good. We've got $3,500 in the bank. And I thought, ah, yeah, you work for Unisys. You know that your check's going to be good when you get it. I'm supposed to be paid next week. I uh, wonder if there'll be any money behind that check. 
So I literally told Sue, inventory all of our food. We had six kids, six kids, four boys, two girls, everybody like to eat. And, make sh and just we may have to just eat what's in our cupboards because we'll get a check, uh, but I don't know if there'll be money behind it. So I read on purpose all of the stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000 families to try to encourage myself. I came to this and I saw this, Jesus testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And I felt like Jesus said, John, I already know what I'm gonna do. So I go to pay the bill early Friday before we started. And the person I was supposed to meet with, uh, her secretary said, I'm sorry she had to leave early today to get her, get her daughter and bring her home. Uh, she said, just pay her on Monday. And I said, okay. So then we had Friday night's meeting, Saturday night's meeting, Sunday night's meeting. And in the offerings, we had way more money given than we needed to cover the costs. Jesus already knew what he was doing. Can I tell you, Jesus knows what he's doing in your life. All right, let's move on. Philip replied, well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Uh, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves, two fish. Well, what good is that with all this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. Again, Jesus already always knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. In the other stories, of course, the disciples are actually handing them out. John's trying to accent this all was orchestrated by Jesus. Afterward, he did the same with fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Can I say that again? They all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Can I ask you, why 12? Why not nine or 15? I, you know, 12 is a significant number in the Bible. 12 tribes in Israel, 12 apostles. I think John is saying through this and by this event that the whole people of God are provided for by Jesus. He took care of them all. He also might be saying, again, the disciples were involved in this work. They were busy serving people. And when they get all done, there's 12 baskets, as it were, like one for each of them. I think there's a message here that you and I, as we extend ourselves and we serve Jesus with our all our heart, with our energy and resources, uh, strength, gifts, money, that God's gonna take care of us too. He's not gonna jump over you to bless somebody else. He will bless you and bless through you. All right, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he's the prophet we've been expecting. Moses had spoken in Deuteronomy 18 about a great prophet that was coming that they should listen to. And when Jesus saw that they were gonna ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. You'll notice Jesus had this knack of always like slipping away because he was came to do the Father's will, and he lived for his agenda. Now, great story, many things here. This is the only miracle story recorded in all four of the Gospels. I think that's significant. Uh, scholars believe this is like a model miracle meant to teach us who Jesus is and how he works in the world. He works with and through his people. Notice that everyone is welcome at Jesus' party and everyone eats and everyone is satisfied. He, has, he is the great shepherd. He's come to provide and care for all his people. Also notice 
Jesus asked Philip a question here to test him. Why? I think he wanted Philip to grow in faith and to grow in his understanding of who Jesus really was. Has Jesus ever asked you a question? Maybe to test you, to help you grow in faith? He's done that in my life so many times. It was, I think, about 20 years ago. I was sitting in my living room, just kind of on the couch behind me now, and I was discouraged. Uh, I didn't feel like things were going all that great at River Heights. I didn't feel like I was doing a very good job. I was really tempted. I thought, maybe I should just quit and somebody else could take over. I'll go back to business. I was successful in business, and I wasn't feeling successful here in this work. And God broke into my thoughts and said, will you give me 10 more years? And then he continued, I am all in for River Heights, and I would like you to be all in. Will you give me 10 more years? I felt faith rise in my heart, and I said, yes. I actually actually stood up, honestly, and saluted. I felt like this was like, a, like my commander-in-chief was uh, you know, asking me to do something. And you know what? We began to experience the very best years of our ministry at River Heights. It turned out to be 20 years uh, that I gave God. Interestingly, he only asked me for 10. I think he knew I probably would have balked at 20. But I loved these next years. Jesus knew what he was doing. Now, what question is Jesus? might Jesus be asking you at this time? Important, challenging time, time of opportunity. What question might he be asking you? I encourage you to think about that. And don't be afraid of Jesus' tests. My dad used to tell me, tests are your friends, John. They let you know what you've learned and what you need to learn. And you can only grow as you take tests. So here are some of the things that have helped me in times of testing. And they all come from this story. There's three things. Number one, Admit that you have a need that you can't meet on your own. Philip said, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Just admit you have needs you can't meet on your own. And two, give God what you have, no matter how little it may seem. Andrew says, well, there's a young boy here. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? You know, barley was the bread of the poor. Interestingly, this was a boy from a poor family, and he simply brought his lunch and he gave it to Jesus. Do you ever feel like you don't have enough resources to meet the needs in the situation you're in as a dad or a mom or a friend or a follower of Jesus at your, in your work and so on? I encourage you, just give God what you have, no matter how little it may seem to you. And three, expect God to multiply what you put in his hands. Look what happened here. The little boy gave this. And look what Jesus did. He fed 5,000 families from it. You know, we've seen this at River Heights over and over and over. Even the very planting process. We had never planted a church. I had never. Sue had never. Nobody on our team had never. The South Metro Vineyard had never planted a church. Jesus kept saying to me, I've done this a lot, and I can do it with you. Just give me yourselves. So Sue and I and our family and our church plant, we simply gave him what we had, which was us. And God multiplied it. Can I ask you, Mercy Vineyard, let's do that now. Let's give him us now. Mercy's had a good 15 years. God has so much more good in mind, so much more planned for us, so much more ahead of your life and family. 
Could you just give him your life right now and watch him multiply it? So Jesus is a great provider. He has the resources you need. He's there for you. He will show up and meet your needs. Let's go on. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and they headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They'd rode three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. Jesus was there for them. Jesus showed up. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Interesting, two miracles are going on here. One, he walked on the water to them, but two, as soon as he got in the boat, immediately they were there on the other side. Now John notes that Jesus left because the crowd wanted him to make him their king by force, to make him like a political messiah who would overthrow the power of Rome. But Jesus came to do his father's will, and he never yielded to the agenda of others. So what do we see here? Jesus saw his disciples' need and he came to rescue them. Now storms often would land on the Sea of Galilee because warm air would come in from the western Mediterranean Sea and it would collide with cool air coming down the mountains from the east and a big storm would hit. So it hit here. And as, but as suddenly as the storm hit, suddenly Jesus came to meet them. And he spoke, don't be afraid, I'm here. You know, Jesus sees whatever hard things you might be going through right now in your life personally. Maybe, you know, you're missing the community that we're all missing that we'd like to have. Maybe you're having some storms at work or in your finances or in your health or in a relationship. Jesus sees you and he will come by his Holy Spirit through his people now to meet you and comfort you. You can trust him to, that he will come to speak words of comfort and hope to you and break the power of fear. You know, I've seen him break the power of fear in my life. Oh, I still get feelings of fear and anxiety, but they don't dominate me. They don't run my life anymore and they don't need to run yours. And you know, Jesus, he got in the boat and they immediately got to the other side. Jesus will help you get to where you need to be. Let's trust him today. So Jesus is our provider, Jesus is our rescuer, and Jesus is the one who's come to give us life. He now engages in a long dialogue with the crowds and the disciples, actually 50 verses in John. Don't worry, we're not gonna look at those 50 verses. Uh, the crowds want him to be their bread king, but Jesus is following his father's plan and he reveals to them who he really is and what he's come to do. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, you want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, because signs in John, they point to who Jesus is so that we'll believe he is the Messiah and find life in his name. He said, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Remember his baptism when the Father spoke to him, you are my son, uh, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and then the Holy Spirit landed on him like a dove and empowered him, he got God's seal of approval. You know what? Jesus wants to give you the seal of approval as well. They replied, well, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. They answered, well, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Excuse me, did they miss something here? He just 
multiplied food to feed 5,000 families. After all, our ancestors ate manna when they journeyed through the wilderness, and the scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus clarifies, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Very much like the woman at the well in John 4 who said, give us this water, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. And Jesus said, no, I have living water for you. Here Jesus is saying, I have living bread for you. Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. What good news. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Do you know, when you come to Jesus, he will never reject you. No matter how many people who have ever rejected you in your life or not welcome you, Jesus will always welcome you. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I shall, should not lose even one of all these he's given me, but that I should raise them all up at the last day. It is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. What a great promise, friends. Jesus is there for us. He, will, he shows up. He will come and meet us right now on our way to the new heaven and new earth and he will raise us up at the end of time. Jesus provides for us, Jesus rescues us, and he does so much more. He gives us life that lasts forever. He's come to satisfy your deepest needs, my deepest needs, so that we will never be hungry in that way again. Interestingly, he tells us that our primary work is to be receptive to God, to listen to him, to learn from him, to see what he's doing in the world, and to do what he's doing. Uh, this may relate to Deuteronomy 8.3, where Jesus talks about um, that we don't live by bread only, but by every word that is coming out of God's mouth. All right, Jesus is that true living bread from heaven. Interestingly, there's a comparison here between Jesus and Moses. They say, well, Moses gave us the manna, and Jesus clarifies and said, no, 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 no. My father gave you the manna. Moses was a servant. Uh, Moses led Israel out of oppression to Pharaoh in Egypt. But Jesus has come to lead you and I out of, out of every kind of oppression we've ever experienced. Oppression due to our own sin or the sin of others or to Satan's work in the world. Now Moses did lead Israel through the Red Sea as God opened it. But now Jesus rescued his disciples by calming the storm on the sea. And he can calm every storm you and I will ever face. Now Moses received the manna that God sent to provide for his people. But Jesus not only multiplied this little boy's lunch to feed 5,000 families, but he came to give his life for us on the cross so that everyone who would come to him would receive eternal life, would never be hungry or thirsty again. You know, one author says, Jesus was torn into pieces on the cross so that you and I could be made whole forever. He was broken for you, even as we break the bread of communion uh, today. Jesus was broken for you so that you would be whole. He shed his blood for you so that you would be completely forgiven. So what can you and I do to receive all that Jesus has for us? He's got the resources. He's there for you. Simply come to Jesus. 
simply say yes to him. Jesus, I want you take charge of my life, come into my life, forgive me for all my sins, free me from that, from every bit of oppression, fill me with your love and let him begin to make you whole. So again, you might say, well, like how do I actually do that? I would say this, again, admit you need him. Give him what you have, which is your life, and then watch him multiply your life. He will make more of your life out of your life than you could ever do on your own, than you could ever imagine. Let's pray and do that right now. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time. It's a great day to do that. Maybe you want to return to Jesus. Maybe you felt a little distant, like my dad and I were distant, and then Jesus brought us close. Jesus wants to bring you close. Maybe you want to recommit your life to him, to love well, to fight the good fight of faith, to do all the good you can at this challenging and important opportune time. Let's pray. Lord, we just give ourselves to you. We say to you, Jesus, thank you so much for coming. Thank you that you are the bread of life. Thank you that as we come to you, we, you will meet the deepest needs of our heart. Thank you that you'll forgive us for all our sins and free us from their effect. And you'll give us a power to live a new life. So we say yes to you, Jesus. Come uh, and, and fill us again with your love and your life and your freedom. And give us the power to serve you in every way to do all the good you uh, we can at this time and in the days to come. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now Peter and his team are gonna come and lead us in worship and I'll be back at the end to direct us into our summer small church and prayer. Thanks so much. God bless you. <laughs>